Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our topic today is arson and the death of a twin son, and our guest is Gail Minger. Gail's son, 19-year-old Michael, was killed in a fire at Murray State University in Kentucky in 1998. One year later, Gail met with the governor of Kentucky and asked why universities were not required to comply with safety codes. Finding his answers to be unacceptable, Gail decided to take action. She felt that Michael's death had been preventable and helped with legislation that changed the reporting of fire incidents and other crimes on college campuses. It became landmark legislation known as the Michael Minger Act. Gail does her work in Michael's name as she can hear him say without hesitation, Mom, you need to do something to keep this from happening to others. Welcome to the show, Gail. Thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to have you on, Gail. And Heidi and I were just, have been just very, very impressed with the work you've been doing and the courage and, and energy. I mean, tell us about that. Um, what, how did you get propelled into this? And you were also dealing with a lawsuit and all sorts of things. And we have our audience out there who have these same kinds of things. They're involved in the court things. They're involved in the loss. And, but first, I guess I should ask you to tell us a little bit about Michael. He sounds like a, a wonderful kid. Well, he absolutely was. Michael was a twin. His twin sister, Melissa, is now a doctor of dental medicine and is presently in a residency program in St. Petersburg, Florida. But Michael was my creative one, very, um, just very musical. He sang with the American Boy Choir, traveled extensively, sang with um, the Boston Pops, uh, just had a beautiful tenor voice. And his dream was to become a radio television broadcaster for sports. And he really... Um, he was a son that any mother would have been so proud to have. Um, he had learning disabilities, some cognitive challenges, but still um, wanted to go to college. We never really were sure he could go to college, but he um, actually maintained when he died, he had a 3.936 GPA, oh my and that was even higher than his you know, more brainier, if you will, twin sister, Melissa. I mean, she did very well, but Michael just <laughs> felt like he had to work really hard to achieve, and he ch- achieved beyond what we ever imagined that he could. But he was um, just a delight, very polite, kind-hearted, um, always looked to those that were more needy. Um, I knew he was very special prior to his death, but then after his death, of course, others wrote us and told us stories and things that we didn't know even prior to his passing. But it's amazing how I would have never imagined me doing the things I've done or continue to do. It's just, as you said, propelled into these things. It's kind of laid at your feet, and um, you just feel like, as I taught Michael and Melissa as little children, you have to do what you feel is right. And um, I just knew that the things that were going on as far as safety compliance, um, 
Yeah, because for our audience, could we talk a little bit? Now, Michael, I'll kind of try to summarize it myself. Michael was uh, going to college, and he had to be in the dorms. There was no choice because of his disability. Was that it? No, everyone had to be. It's required at this particular university and many colleges and universities across the nation. You are required to live in the dormitory setting freshman and sophomore years. And And you kind of did not want him to do that. I mean, you felt that it may have not been the perfect place for him. Absolutely. I wanted him to be, you know, and have the experience like everyone else and for others not to, um, you know, pick him out to be so different but to fit in a bit more. And, you know, we wanted him to have that experience, but I realized quite soon after him enrolling that it wasn't all that we were told it was. It had been rated the 11th safest school in the nation, and that's a pretty, um, pretty unbelievable rating, but they had many, many problems. And uh, I, I noticed those and started to question things. And Michael didn't feel comfortable either. And we worked to get him out of the dorm, and we were not successful. So short of removing him from that university, we um, felt like he only had three more months to live there in the dorm, and then he could move off campus. We already had a special place with an elderly woman very close to campus. He rode his bicycle. He did not drive a car because of his disabilities. And he, um, we already had all of that worked out, but the school was relentless in making us, you know, um, follow the policy if he was going to continue there. And unfortunately, as I said, he only had three months before he would have been eligible to move out of the dorm. And when he returned for his sophomore year, he lived only three weeks. And our worst uh, fears and nightmare came true. And that was because somebody lit a fire in the dorm. Yes, it, they uh, started a fire. A person that was actually hired by the university um, as a safety, uh, extra safety hand um, around campus called the uh, Racer Patrol. And um, anyway, the individual was charged, but unfortunately there was a hung jury, so he's never been retried and has never uh, paid a day for, um, you know, his his very seriously bad choices. And so he Mike did not intend to kill Michael. He he just set a fire. It was the second fire in five days. Wow. And um and Michael wasn't able to escape because he was asleep in his dorm room, is that correct? Yes, he was sound asleep mm-hmm. and uh he did wake up though um and we know that he had put a towel under his door mm-hmm. because the smoke had been coming in from all areas and a lot of that due to the improper fire stopping, as I said, the codes and safety codes that had not been complied with and were well known by this university um, through their own inner office memos that we were able to gain uh, access to, but they absolutely knew about the problems for many years and did nothing about them. And these are things parents cannot know um, when you're visiting a, a university. Right. There are certain things that are behind the walls that you don't have a clue. But when people tell you and, and give you their word that this is a safe campus and um, so forth and so on, and you want to certainly believe that this is true. Now, what have you done with your anger? Are you angry now? Oh, yes. I was, I was for a period of time. And once in a while it pops through again when I see the complacency still today by some um, on some university campuses, not all, but some still have a very um, uh, kind of a haughty attitude, really. 
and um, just like don't look at us, we're doing everything perfectly. Well, if I would tell every parent that may be listening, if any university ever has that attitude, you need to run as fast as you can because every single university has issues. It's the ones that talk about them and tell you what they're doing to correct them are the ones that you want to listen to. Now, I know we've got uh, some angry folks out there who, you know, through different circumstances have, yeah. have there's been some kind of compliance. What, what did you do with your anger early on? How did you deal with it to help them? Well, um, at first, I, I don't know that I was anything but um, in a state of shock for many right. months, not really believing that this was real. I mean, you knew it, but yet you didn't know it. And I read all the books I could get my hands on, and I, I really um, worked to, to uh, because of having Melissa also, to um, do what I needed to do if there is such a thing. And really there isn't. We all grieve differently. But there seems to be some patterns to, to our grief. But I, I just decided that, you know, knowing these things were wrong and finding more and more out um, with more questions that I asked and realizing, oh, my goodness, this has been going on for a very long time. Why hasn't anyone done anything? And I think that's where I directed my um, energy. Now, and when did you, how long energy. did it take you before you started moving in that direction of, of taking action? Well, actually, uh, Michael died in September, um, and it was January when the legislature and I actually met with the governor of the state and um, really wasn't given very good answers, just a pat on the back, everyone thinking, oh, what poor, How did you get you a know. hold of him? That's pretty amazing, isn't it, Heidi? It absolutely is. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty persistent and really wasn't going to go away until I was let in the door. That's just kind of, I didn't know any better at that point because I, I just didn't have any sense except the grief that carried me forward and that right. anger, strength. You know, it's like when people pick up a car off of someone. You don't know where you get that from. It's just there. You know, it's really interesting to me, Gail, because um, some of our audience would not be ready to do anything in four months, but there are some people who go ahead and do things very early. So, uh, you know, I want to say to our audience out there, if you're energized at four months to, you know, go out and do something, do it if you're not. I mean, there's no there's no right. model for this. Right, whatever helps in the healing. Yeah, whatever right. helps for you. If, mm -hmm. if taking action is a kind of thing that helps for you, that that's a good thing. One of the things that I wanted to, that's come up for me, I can just feel it in my heart, is Michael as a singer. Uh, what during break you were talking about him singing in New York City. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, he sang um, actually as a young uh, boy choir member of the American Boy Choir. That's kind of like America's Vienna Boys Choir. Um, he sang with uh, the Boston Pops. He sang at uh, St. Bartholomew's in New York City. And I just was there a few weeks ago for a conference and I attended that church. And it was a choral service. And there was a children's choir singing and a men's choir singing. And it was just so beautiful. And I stood there with this tears streaming down my face. But as I left the church, I was so filled and just actually skipping out of the church because I remember him standing there as a little boy at 10 years old singing, you know, on those marble steps. And it was just a wonderful way to revisit and spend time with him uh, through that memory. Oh, that's a, that's a wonderful thought, spending time with our mm -hmm. children through memory, isn't it, Heidi? Absolutely. What a wonderful memory that you'll have forever. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Do you have, do you have uh, tapes of his music? 
Yes, I do. Um, a lot of it is rehearsal tapes and things where they start over and over, but it was one of the most beautiful things. Uh, as I said, Michael died in September, the end of September, um, and in April he had been in a soiree um, because he took um, classical lessons and so forth. We traveled quite a distance for him to do that. And a parent of a young lady that sang a duo with him had taped it and after finding out about Michael's death, I got this package in the mail and opened it. And to my surprise, it was not only just his voice, it was a video where I could see him singing at this soiree. And it's wow. just a treasured piece that I have. So I do listen to him and I, I um, you know, just, I am so, uh, oh, it, it just does wonderful things for me to hear him. It's certainly sad sometimes because I know how beautiful his voice was and I wonder, you know, as a man, how that would have even grown more. But I am so blessed to have those those uh, tapes and and musical pieces to to play sometimes. Uh, well, uh, were you in New York for your uh, advocacy work? Yes, I was. I'm actually uh, part of a group with um, the National Fire Sprinkler Association called Common Voices, and it's parents who has have lost children in. Um, Dorm, uh, college-related fires mostly. There are other pe- members on the board who have lost loved ones in fires. Um, uh, but it, it, there are three of us are have uh, sons that we have lost in college-related fires. Wow. So uh, it's it's a big problem, and people don't know that. But that's what I was there for, and uh, we were working on some projects together to raise awareness and and do some other things in that area. That's great. Uh, we were saying uh, before we went to break that you started out on this advocacy work and got in touch with the governor after four months, and uh, yes. and we were talking. You were talking about the fact that you really weren't all together, but you had that energy that propelled you in that direction. Yes, I, I really, as I said, did not really know what I was doing. I just knew something had to be done, and um, you know, people would. Um, kind of helped me along. There were wonderful people who supported me and guided me somewhat, and I'm pretty obstinate and just would not take no for an answer. Or um, So I just kept pushing forward, moving forward, but I really was still in the midst of, of a deep, deep grief. Um, but again, just knowing something had to be done, and about... I'm still doing that work uh, nine years nine later, years, right. but it, it's it wonderful me. because, like you said, mm-hmm. you're preventing other kids from dying in fires, in university fires. Well, it's um, that's what I'm told, and actually all the universities in the state of Kentucky were required by law through, well, by mandate, excuse me, through my um, tenacity, if you will. And again, I am no one special. I, my special part in life was being Michael and Melissa's mother. And I just felt so compelled to do this. But when when you know that there have been other fires um, and children have lived because there are now sprinklers in those dormitories, mm-hmm. um, I, I just, you know, it's, it's not so much me that I'm thinking about. It's that Michael's death did something positive or the result of his death did something positive as he wanted 
and would have wanted me to do to save others' lives. So that's the good part of you it. You know, um, I, I, re- I was reading something about um, that was in the paper, and uh, one of the things that said that you said that dealing with the system has been pretty, pretty cruel. Could you talk yeah. a little bit about the cruelty of that? And for those people who are out there t- going through this right now, how did you deal with that, and what what did you mean by that? Well, it 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 was something that. Uh, probably was, I mean, of course the death of Michael was the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with in my life and continue to deal with um, nine years later because the impact to your life, its you have to incorporate that in your living and nothing is the same. And those that think you want to get back to the same, please, that's, that's a dream that's not going to be because nothing is the same as it was before their child died. But what I dealt with with the legal system and so forth, it was a harsh, cruel reality that um, it's a business and they want you to settle oftentimes. They're not there to find out, um, you, you know, really because this, what happened to Michael would have set legal precedents because of his disabilities, because of our fight to get him out of the dorm. But um, no one wanted to spend that amount of time and energy and money to, to fight for so many years to end up possibly in the Supreme Court, and that's it, it was just very, um, very disturbing to me that this, I was kind of brought back down to a place I would not want anyone to be. Um, well, it was what, a very what low my, place. Yeah, what my friends, you know, tell us and uh, through the show and things that have been through the whole legal system is that, um, if you're looking for justice and fairness and all that, um, you you don't find the level that you want. It's not that our system isn't working, but you right. don't find the level of satisfaction. Even people um, who get a judgment in their favor and all that, they just don't. They, they've told me that afterward, they don't feel some great sense of relief and satisfaction. That's absolutely true. And my case, I believe, was probably a little different in that. It was um, would have taken so many years and set precedents because of dealing with a, a disabled child um, and the laws and things that deal with that, and they're kind of all over the books. But yes, I, I do believe that there is no um, your other the other people that have mentioned that there is no relief uh, or satisfaction to to what you think will happen when that judgment comes down. It's very empty. It's nothing that. Um, it's just, it but what's what, so what filling? I love this because what's really filling here is is service. Well, and and setting you know being responsible for something legislation so that other kids will not die this way. Yeah. So that you feel like Michael's death was not in vain. He's he's in a sense saving lives and doing as much in his death as he did in his life. Exactly. And I just finished working with the governor for almost an entire year, about eight months. Um, I live in Florida, but uh, I was um, asked to be the chair of the uh, governor's task force on campus safety in the state of Kentucky. So I came to Kentucky and did that and gave the report uh, to the governor in September. And it was it was amazing that, um, you know, that work, as I said, still going on and, and um and it's broadened with campus safety too. It's not just yes, it is. You know, it really has. So it's and very that, broad. Yeah, it's, that's what we addressed was a very comprehensive look at campus safety, not just fire. Mm-hmm. So um, that great. was very enlightening. But 
It is it is a good thing, I think, um, for any parent to be able to do something like that. And people, it's say to me, oh, well, you're doing this for, I'm not doing it for Michael anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't save Michael, but we can save other children. So, Well, Gail, um, I know you're going to have to leave us in a few minutes, and maybe you're going to stay for uh, for one more break. Um, I have about 10 or 12 more minutes. Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, We'll go to break, and then we'll we'll come back and uh, talk to you some more. But could you um, say a little bit about what you're doing right now, that you've had a friend lose a child and... Um, I well actually I'm I'm the where I'm going today for the funeral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's actually good friends of mine um, that I when I came to Kentucky and really had just lost it was basically coming unglued at the Capitol. Um, I was crying because they were marking up the bill, which means you know taking very important parts out of it initially. And I, I was just really pretty falling, much falling apart. And this woman named Carolyn Kinman came to my aid um, and just kind of picked me up off the floor literally and took me to the women's room and helped me get myself together and asked me if I would like to come to home for a meal. And uh, I have been close friends with, we are so different, but her heart and the wonder of, of her and her family have been such a support and love for me. And and um, mine for them, and Carolyn's uh, dear husband just passed away oh, just a couple husband. of days ago. So mm-hmm. I'm here in, back in Kentucky from from Florida for his funeral, and I will be speaking at his funeral today. Ah, oh, I wanted to make sure that people could get in touch with you, Gail. How would they do that? Well, they're welcome to call my cell phone number. At, that's a, area code 850-621-5163. And uh, my email address at this point, um, it's my general email, is Ming, M-I-N-G, the number four, the first three letters of the word family, F-A-M, at AOL.com. So, again, that's Ming4Fam at AOL.com. Well, thank you. And uh, we wanted to also mention, because we put in in the beginning of this about Michael having a twin sister, Melissa, could you talk a little bit about twins and uh, do you think there's been anything unique about this? Well, absolutely. Um, Michael and Melissa were very, very close. Uh, Melissa was my more independent child. Michael was one that really loved his mother and sister and all that we do for him. He was very willing to let us do a lot. So, um, But he uh, just looked up to her as just knowing everything. He just thought the world of her and um, was just very, very close. They were very close, even as teenagers, um, you know, Lightning uh, frightened Melissa. She'd go jump, you know, and get close to him, and and uh, he would calm her and that kind of thing. And they just shared so many things. And Melissa spoke at Michael's funeral and said, mm. "Part of me is gone." Mm-hmm. And um, I believe that she really, truly feels like that. She deals with a specific loneliness that um, I, I I know exists because of the death of her twin brother. And that's what the research shows, as well as people I've talked to that have been twins. They literally feel like a limb has been severed. The part right. of them is gone. Right. It's, uh, that she absolutely feels like that. And I hope you have the opportunity, that she has the opportunity to call in in just a little bit. She's, um, as I mentioned, a doctor of dental medicine is in a residency program and actually has patients. But between them today, she really wanted to participate and call in. So I'm hoping well, she'll have that, that opportunity. In you talking about what she's gone on to do with her life, 
in yes. a doctor, you know, in a doctoral dentistry program, has, is showing the audience that you know, even though our siblings have died, our lives go on, and yes, it's devastating for us, but our lives are not destroyed forever. Right. And uh, I think Melissa is an example of this. She has she has gone to do wonderful things in her life, and probably care, will carry Michael with her forever. Oh, absolutely. And Michael was helping her find colleges and universities that had medical programs because in his heart he knew that's what she was going to do yeah. and had every, um, you know, every confidence that she would reach that goal someday, and, and she certainly did. It was a lot of hard work. She had times in her undergraduate, of course, when Michael passed away when he was 19 and they were in their sophomore years of college. They were at different colleges, but she... Um, you know, really struggled with uh, have, being able to focus on her work, but the she was in a small um, private school, and they were very kind to, you know, help her through that and and support her. But the challenges were great. I, I was wondering, was that scary for? Was she in a dorm, and was that scary for you? Yes, she was in a dorm, but her school was much older than the university Michael went to, and. Um, they had their people, after hearing about her twin brother's loss, come through and actually check everything to ma- again uh, to make sure everything was working. There were a couple issues with some windows that had been painted shut by some of the students, and they made sure all of that was up. Now, did you ask them to do that, or did they just do it on their own? They did it on their own oh. because it was quite big news, and um, Melissa being on campus, it was a very small um, private school, and so everyone knew. I mean, the security people, the president of the school, everyone knew. Um, all of her faculty, um, they would call her and check on her, and it, it was I don't think she could have been any better place with this kind of thing going on in her life. So, it but yes, they did it on their own, right? What were you going to say, honey? I was just saying, what a nurturing environment when I heard what Gail's saying. Yeah, Heidi went to a very big school. I don't think you got nurtured that much. Did you? <laughs> no, I had the opposite experience, actually. Yeah, yeah well, I really did. I think this speaks to the, the smallness of, of that school. But um, I had the experience where after two weeks of being out of classes, my professors expected me to get going, and it's been two weeks, and you need to get over it, and you need to hand in the assignments, and you need to move forward. And for me, I couldn't. Right. And so I had to take a semester off because it was too much for me to handle. Well, yeah. Melissa got into that same um, place, Heidi, and she actually, the university um, uh, personnel that I had been corresponding with, uh, we we talked a lot and they said that they would give her a medical leave if, if indeed, and she did take that in one class because her ability to focus, it was a challenging class, I believe it was calculus, and it was a challenging class, and she um, she was not able to focus. She would find herself gazing out the window, and this was not her typical way of behaving. Right. Um, and so she, um, they they were very good to her and and worked with her. And her grades did suffer, but believe me, it, it's amazing to me. Melissa went on, and she enjoys leadership roles, and she made a place for herself throughout um, her college career in leadership. And people, in fact, she got into this residency program wondering, how did I ever get in here? I was not in the top, you know, part of my class. And um, they, she, it's because of her leadership and, the, and right. what the professors said about her as a human being uh, that uh, propelled her into um, 
where she is today. Well, and she's, she's overcome great adversity. She's overcome the death of her twin. And I think they all recognized that, and that was a plus for her. Um, and she also has gone on mission trips and gives back to kids that are less fortunate, and that was her brother's thing. And so she's taken on some of his roles, um, n- not even um, on purpose. She just does them now. And it, it's just really amazing sometimes. Michael had allergies. She didn't. She has allergies now. I don't know That's anything funny. about that, but it's kind of interesting. It is interesting. But some of those children. kinds of things have happened. So. I wanted to ask you, Gail, um, do you think that this, the fact that uh, Michael did have some disabilities and special needs, um, do you think that made you closer to him? Yes, it did. Um, I spent an inordinate amount of time with him due, for two reasons. His disabilities and not wanting him to fall through the cracks in our, you know, educational system. Mm-hmm. And so I would work doubly hard with him. Um, and he wanted to achieve. He never fought. We got tutors and things. We were able to do that for him. And that was very important. And then the secondly, with his beautiful voice, uh, God-given talent, we wanted to nurture that because that made him special. And, and you know, in that he and and he loved that about because he knew he had areas that he struggled. But this was something that he could do, uh, and it was a beautiful thing. You know, and for our audience out there who have had disabled kids or kids who have special challenges that have died. That's a big loss of a role because it's, there's a lot of work involved with that, and all of a sudden it's gone. Not many people have recognized that, Gloria, and that's, thank you so much for saying that to me today because that's exactly true. I, it was hard for me to even admit, but in an hour of a day, I would guess that I spent 35 minutes of that hour working with, thinking about, preparing for things for Michael. And my husband and Melissa were after that. You know, they kind of got the rest of the time left over. And I felt pretty guilty about that at times, but Melissa said the most wonderful thing to me, like, Mom, we didn't know we weren't going to have him that long, and I'm Mm -hmm. so glad that you did spend that time, all of that extra time with him. But you're right, and I think that time that I devoted to him during his life trans. I transferred that to the advocacy that I do now. It just seems so natural. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but um, Melissa, I also told her when she was a child that if mom is ignoring you and you feel that, please let me know. And she did. She was very vocal about things like that. But <laughs> she also, uh, yeah. she also realized. It, it also so. sounds like Melissa gave a lot to her brother because he needed he needed that, and she kind of stepped in and showed him how to do things and helped him with things and. Absolutely. She was a great guide for him in many areas, and um, he just, I I wouldn't want to say worshipped her, but it was close to that. He Mm -hmm. just thought she was it, and he just thought she, you know, hung the moon, as they say, and and was so smart, and just everything. He was so... um, he just loved his, and she wasn't a big sister. She was his twin sister, but she right. was a few minutes older. So. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, <laughs> it, it, I, I don't want to keep you, and uh, right. I just want to thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm just impressed with your advocacy, and uh, it's really wonderful. Um, would you, do you have something you'd like to leave our audience with about uh, any thoughts? Well, I'd like to say to all parents who may be experiencing this devastating time in their life that um, to have hope, don't lose hope. And 
um, it's amazing uh, how the people you will meet and the things that will come uh, to you, in front of you, the ways that you may hear your children speaking to you, and listen to that. Listen for those things. Uh, listen to the birds sing. Enjoy the smell of the flowers. All the things that we are too, you know, too busy to enjoy. Michael uh, showed me and many others that um, it's important to to uh, think of all those things and and take in all of the beautiful world around you. But to please not give up hope and. Um, to look to others, um, as as this show provides, um, who have gone through it, that we are so willing, uh, so many of us out here are so willing to help any way we can um, just to answer a simple question. And I would encourage you to ask those questions and and do whatever it makes you know you feel better. It nothing is is uh, too out there, and uh, I think that that's important for people to know. Great. Heidi, do you have anything you want to say to Gail before she leaves our show? I just want to thank Gail for everything she's done and for this legislation, the Michael Manger Act. Yes. Thank you so much for helping, helping save lives. Well, thank you. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.